Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the book of James, the letter of James. It's going to be uh, around 684, I think, in the Bibles that are underneath the chairs down in the middle. So if you don't have a Bible with you, you can grab that and follow along as we're reading the scriptures today. We're going to look at verse 2 through 12. Uh, I'm going to start by praying and then we'll read and then well, we'll get going. So, Father, we thank you for the gathering of your church, for the opportunity for us to come together and uh, even as we come, uh, we're reminded that we are people of great need. Now, Lord, we're needy people, and uh, we shouldn't be ashamed of that. Uh, so we, we bring our need to you today, our need for, for love, uh, for health in our bodies, uh, our, our need to, uh, to be known by other people, but also known by you. And, and Lord, would you see our need this morning and meet us where we are? We come here to gather as your church because you command us to do that, to um, to worship the one true God, but more than that, to be edified as we encourage each other uh, and to be exhorted in your word. And so, God, would you meet us in all those ways um, today as we gather as your church? Uh, more importantly, Lord God, would you um, challenge us, uh, encourage us, refresh us by your word, change us by your gospel and point us to Jesus. And we pray that in his name. Amen and amen. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 12. Let's read these verses out loud together. They'll be on the screen as well. Let's read. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade in the midst, in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. This is the word of the Lord. So perhaps you are either old enough or you've lived enough life to realize that all of life is, is a trial. That, uh, that might, I might have to qualify that. Here's, here's what I mean. Um, there's probably no season of your life from early childhood to your life as an elderly person living as a retiree that you are exempt from, from pain, from, from suffering, from trials. Uh, for all of us, trials are, are really constant. Think of the, the high schooler who um, is excited to be in his last year of, of high school education, but, but is, is experiencing the tension of, uh, of still doing homework and of the boundaries set by his parents, uh, curfews, chores, all those things that high schools definitely don't want to do. And what, what does a high, school, high schooler think? Um, as soon as I can escape my house, my trials are going to be over. I'm going to go to college. I'm going to live it up. I'm going you know, to be out of my own. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. 
Um, that's one. That's one example. Another example would be the married couple, uh, the young couple that gets married, and uh, after their nuptials, they they immediately believe that they're going to live life happily ever after. But what they don't know yet, as they start their lives together, is that the person they're married to is a sinner. And you know, and I mean, seriously, they're a sinner, and sin is going to happen in their marriage, and that sin is going to cause trials. And then somewhere down the road, they decide to have kids. And I mean, I mean, kids will, will make you suffer, won't they? From, from sleepless nights to diapers upon diapers upon. I mean, here's, here's the thing. Larissa and I, when we got out of diapers, we had a party. It's like we're going to throw ourselves a party that we are out of diapers. And then, and then you have these desires that your kids will, will you know, kind of mature and grow up so they can talk to you. But then your kids start talking to you and they start talking back to you. And that becomes becomes a trial. And then you just want your kids to become independent. So they're not like like sucking off you all the time. (laughs) Seriously. And so having kids, in a sense, becomes a trial. But there's also trials in our work life. And here's how trials go in in the work life. Uh, it, It seems that if things are going well at work, you get overworked. And if things aren't going well at work, then you you get overworked as well because you're trying to make things go well at work. And so uh, there's this tension in work where it's a trial that's presented to you that you're you're either working hard to continue your success or you're working hard to make up so that you have success. But even in the years of retirement, although the trials are different, life can still be a trial. You miss the camaraderie, the respect that you might have gotten when you were part of the, the everyday working world. You have a lot of time on your hands and you, you sometimes regret that. Sometimes health issues start to surface in your life and they become a trial for you. And, and here's the one thing that we do in retirement. We worry that, that our lives are going to outlive our money. And that's a, that's a big trial right there. So these are just a few examples. And if you're new, we're in the, the, the letter of James. And right up front, James, uh, James encourages us. I don't even know if he's encouraging us. He's exhorting us. He's, he's telling us like it is. He's basically saying, um, not if, but when you have trials, uh, you got to be prepared to, to handle those. And James has a lot of advice for us today in regards to what we should do when we are in a trial. And so we need to hear and heed what James has to say. And that brings us to our text. Uh, really, the theme of our, of, our, of our sermon today is that God has a purpose for us in our trials. God has a purpose for us in our trials. Verse 2, Count all join my brothers when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I said this last week as I was introducing this book, but this is one of the mega themes, not just of the letter of James, but really it's a mega theme of of Scripture in itself, that life brings suffering, that we can't escape it, but that, that God has purpose in our suffering. He has purpose in the pains and the trials of life. And that purpose is to, to, to grow us. Suffering, particularly, brings us closer to God. And, I, you know, even as I say that, I know there's not one person in this room, there's not one person in the world, really, that wants to experience that, the pain and suffering and trials of life, but, but it's there. Uh, there's probably one or two of you in the room that are too young to actually know what real 
suffering or a real trial is, and so I'm going to I'm going to define it. What's a trial? Here's a, a rudimentary uh, definition. It's a process. Uh, it can be a process of testing. In fact, James will he will use the words trial and testing. Uh, I mean, he'll he'll use those at meaning the same thing. Uh, it can be uh, a situation or circumstance of life that entices you on your in your insides and gives you a temptation to sin. I like this simplistic definition, and this is really what I say. What you know, what what I'm going through when I'm going through a trial. It's anything in my life that would make me want uh, make me want to ask God to take it away. It's like, oh, Lord, help! I mean, just just take this away, fix it. Just do whatever you got to do, Lord, so that this is not happening. It's that thing that if you could just snap your fingers and make it go away, then 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 you would want that to happen. A trial is anything that makes you question or doubt God's goodness. A trial is anything that you think, whether you say this out loud or you might say it inside your heart. And God, where are you? Because a lot of times when we're in a trial, we just assume that God is not there, that he's not with us, that he's not in the mix with us when that's not necessarily the case. And we'll find that out as as we go along. And so this is what James says about trials. James says that, I mean, he says something that's really counterintuitive, almost un-American when you think about how we in our culture deal with just like difficulties in life. James says, when you experience a trial, here's what you're supposed to do. It says, count it all joy. Um, that's a, that, that word count is a, is a cognitive word. It means he's telling us to do something with our mind. He says, we, you got to make decisions to think, to think a certain way about what's coming up, the, the cir- circumstance or the situation that you're experiencing. I like the NIV translation. The NIV, NIV uses the word consider right here. And that that actually sounds a little bit more intuitive. We can understand what he's what he's meaning, you know, to 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 roll over the thought in in our mind before we act on something. And so when James says count all joy, here's what he's saying. He means he means we're to have a settled conviction. It means that when you go into a trial, uh, you have knowledge that's based on facts, not just the emotions or, or how you feel about something to have a settled conviction because you've counted it all joy. What's the it? The it is is the process, the process that God uses to take you through this difficult thing that's going to put you in the place that he wants you to be in the first place. And so James is going to describe that trials are a process, not just an event. I mean, think about that. Don't you don't you um, sometimes to default to the, the idea that something difficult that you're going through is just, all right, this is one event. I got to get myself through this event and then I'm going to be all right. Well, God doesn't think like that. And James is portraying to us that difficulties, pain, suffering in life, it's a process that God is taking you through. And there's, there's something that God is intending for you on the other side of that. And more importantly, Here's what James is warning us to know. God is not absent when life gets hard for you. I mean, it's just so easy to believe that. Uh, I would say trials don't reveal God's absence. Actually, they reveal God's presence. You know he's in it because he's doing something in you and with you in the midst of it. Trials show us where God is. Where is he? He's right there in the mix with you. There's a purpose behind them. And we learn what that purpose is in verse 3. Verse 3. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. 
Other translations, again, use the word perseverance or endurance instead of steadfastness. I don't know if steadfastness is a word that we would use in our American vernacular now, but it does mean this idea of of being of enduring through something or persevering through it. Uh, here's the idea is that you would be able to withstand a hardship or the stress of an event. Um, I'm not a y'all know I work out a little bit. All right. But I'm not a, like a powerlifter or anything. But think about think about this. The root of this word is 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 being able to uh, to stand up under something. And so it's, it's really the, the root of two words uh, remaining steadfast. Okay, so I'm going to remain where I am, but I'm also going to be able to bear the pressure or the weight of something. Think of somebody that's going through a what do you call it? A, a, a cleaning jerk or like a what is it called? Anu? What is it called? Say it out loud. Yeah. A power power clean. What are y'all saying? Power clean? All right. So I got this. I got this uh, this weight. I'm going to like arch my back like one of those huge guys do. And, you know, this is what I would do. I just like reach down and like hurt my back trying to do it. But you got to like stick your butt out a little bit like y'all do. And then you you know, there's there's a little bit of action with your back and with your with your arms. But most of the you're trying to use the, the strength of your body, your leg, so that I can with my strength bear the, the weight, and then I, I press it up. I, I get underneath it. And this is the idea that part of the process is that I'm able to remain where I am and bear the weight. I get up underneath it so that I can withstand the, the difficulty that's going on. You're actually getting, getting underneath all the things that are going on. We find the rest of the process in verse 4. James says, and let I got like I winded doing that. I was like, what in the world? I'm like doing exercise and I'm not meaning to. <sighs> Verse four. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And so here's what James says is the purpose of our trials. It's right here in this in this verse. It's the latter four or five words. He says it's supposed to produce maturity. So here's the process. Trials test our faith, which in turn builds endurance. That's that word steadfastness. Steadfastness then leads to being perfect. And, and perfect here doesn't mean that I live life and have no mistakes. Perfect is I, I'm in this state where uh, I'm being made more, more, more mature and complete, that I lack nothing. And of course, that's not talking about material goods. I, I've got everything I want in life, houses and land and cars and stuff. It's, it's saying spiritually, I have all the things that God wants me to have to get through life and fulfill the calling that he has for me. I lack nothing. And so here's the incentive for not just getting through a trial, but persevering through it, you know, bearing up under the weight of the pressure of life. It's that on the other side or really not even on the other side, but through the trial itself, I'm going to grow. I'm going to mature. And God is going to bring about something in me that that I can't get any other way. That's the purpose of trials. Um, here's how I simply like to state this. Trials equip you. You know what it means to be equipped? I mean, it's like you're being trained or uh, you're going through something. I mean, someone's helping you to learn or to gain the skills to do the things that you're supposed to do so that you'll have uh, what it takes to do whatever it is you're called to do. 
And that's what God is doing. A lot of times we we ask this question. I mean, what in the world is going on? Why? Why is life like it is for me? And I would say, you know, perhaps uh, a little simply here, God's equipping you. He's he's taking you through something to give you the things that you need to help you in life. Maybe not at that moment, but uh, but eventually God is giving you stuff that you can't get any other way to help you. And it's a process. It's a process that requires, here's this phrase, steadfastness to have to, to allow steadfastness to have its full effect. Now, I mean, the thing that we typically do when life gets tough, when we get squeezed, when I mean, we're going through a trial is, I mean, we try to bail. I mean, we try to do anything we can to get out of the process. And we do that either physically and definitely we try to do it emotionally. We try to escape all the things that are happening to us just so that we feel better, just so that we're able, able to cope. Many of us, I think, spend most of our time trying to avoid pain. I mean, this is like the American thing that, that we do. There's a whole part of our American culture that, um, that, that cherishes comfort rather than, than going through any kind of pain. What do we do when we have pain in, in our American culture? I mean, all of it. We, we're going to take a pill. We're going to medicate it or we're going to drink it away. I mean, that's that's really what we do. James says, don't do any of that. He says, let steadfastness have its full effect. Why? Because that's the process God has taken you on. That's the process. And in a sense, this is our response to trials. That that if I'm in a difficult position in life, that, that life is pressing me, I'm suffering, there's pain. Uh, we have to see that this is a process and we're supposed to let the process work. That's what I, that's what I mean when I say um, this is our response. What's the response to trials? Let the process work. Um, someone once said, I don't know who said this, but someone once said, this is funny to me. If you're going through hell, keep on going. I mean, I mean, y'all didn't laugh at that, but it, that was that was funny to me. If you're going through if if life is hard. Like, I mean, you're getting pressed on every side. Uh, keep on going because you don't want to be in that too long. James is, you know, and I wouldn't disagree with that. But here's what James is is challenging us with. He's like, don't be too quick to just alleviate the pain in your life because God perhaps might be doing something in the midst of it. It's not even perhaps God is actually doing something in you that can't be brought about by any other way. James is saying it's a process. There's a way to respond in the middle of a trial. And you've seen this with people that are in your life or friends or people at work or acquaintances. You've seen two people experience the same difficulty. They're suffering. Life is hard. You know, one of them is, is you know, just like crying just from the aches of life. But somehow, you don't know how, somehow in the middle of that pain, they're able to invite God into the mess of their life, and, and he changes, maybe not immediately their disposition, but he changes uh, just the way that their attitude about it and the, the, the way that they're trying to handle it. And because they've invited God into the middle of their trial, uh, they come out not with a better attitude, they come out with growth and maturity. They come out stronger than they were before they went into the trial, and they wouldn't have done that if they didn't at some point invite God into the middle of it. That's the first person. But then the second person has it, I mean, just exact opposite um, experience with that. 
they're crushed by that same experience. I mean, why do we see two people uh, experiencing the same struggle of life having different uh, effects? I think it's, it's just a matter of one inviting God into the middle of it. Uh, one, uh, uh, one person gets better, the other person gets bitter, and this is why. Um, suffering, if you allow the process to work, uh, is going to mature you. It's going to grow you. It's going to equip you in the way that God would, would have you uh, be equipped. More importantly, it's, it's how you respond. And because it's how you respond, this is what James says. We need wisdom. Verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. James says the goal is that we would lack nothing. This is not material, that we wouldn't lack material goods. It's, it's a spiritual thing, that we wouldn't lack any of the things that God wants us to have to, to get through life yeah, in, in whatever our calling is. Um, but for our test to turn into maturity, the one thing that James says we must not lack is, is wisdom. I mean, we just went through 13 weeks in Proverbs. And so wisdom is, is the skill to live life. It's that thing that we need just to, to get up in the morning and be who, be who we are living every day. But I think the issue here is that while God may intend for trials to produce in us endurance and the maturity to live life rightly, our trials don't always lead to spiritual growth. You ever, I mean, have you ever been through a difficult time and you don't think you grew at all? I think perhaps the problem is, uh, firstly, you didn't respond right. You didn't let the process work. But, uh, maybe you didn't even ask for wisdom. And this is what trials do for us. Think about what it does for you in your own life. Sometimes it creates fear in us. Sometimes it it causes us to despair. Sometimes we can get angry at God. And when life is pressing us in from all sides, the tendency is for us to go insular. And I mean, we fight back with the world. We fight back at life. We fight back at people. And, and what we want to do is we want to, I mean, we're worried about me, myself, and I. We're only cared, we only care about ourselves. And that's why James says we need to ask God for wisdom so that we can gain from our trials. And so James encourages us in, in this part of our text, to pray to God. And that, each one of these words is important. Here's, here's how he says we should pray to God. He says, pray to the God who gives generously to all without finding fault. James is giving us a theology of who, of who God is. And these are important words because sometimes not just when life is going well, but more importantly, when life is going difficult, we will superimpose who God is on our situation and we will make God to be we will make God out to be whatever we need him to be so that I can just make it through. I can just get up and get through life. So James is saying, no, this is this is who God is. God is the giving God. That's literally what that means in the Greek. He's the giving God. When God gives, he's giving um, according to his nature or his character. God doesn't give in order to get. God is not an Indian giver. Uh, think about all the ways that, that you might. Sometimes we give to get favor. 
God doesn't give in those ways. God gives because it's a part of his character to give. God, the, 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 the greatest uh, example of God giving is him giving, of course, Jesus to the world to be its savior. God is a giving God. It's part of his nature. God gives generously. The word here is, is simply. Uh, this week was Larissa's birthday. I won't tell you how old she is. Forty five. All right. My wife is actually six years younger than me, but I, you know, she's five years younger than me right now. And uh, I feel good about that. And I told her, I was like, you can be as young as you want. But I mean, you're out of people are automatically going to think you're old like me. Because I'm, you know, just, you married, you married an old guy. So she might be 45, but she's really 51. I turn 51 next month. Um, so it was her birthday this week, and uh, our, our kids usually get uh, birthday presents for us when it's our birthday. And two of our kids, I won't say their names, but they they decided to make you know cards for Larissa, and these were like creative heartfelt carts that they spent some time and, you know, sort of did it in secret. And they turned out really nice. I mean, they, I think they blessed her because I, I thought they were pretty, pretty neat as well. And here's the here's here's what made the gift so special. It was simple. And, and here's the essence of a simple gift. It's pure. It comes from a pure heart. It has good intentions behind it. It was meant to bless. And, and that's what my kids did for my wife on her birthday. And I think she felt I mean, I was blessed by it, so I'm sure she was as well. And so that's how God gives. God gives generously, which means God is giving. He gives a, a, a pure gift. He doesn't give so that he can reciprocate. He doesn't give requiring a payback. God delights in giving. God is a God who gives generously to all. In common grace, God gives, I mean, he, the, the scriptures say he, he makes the sun and the you know, sun to shine and the rain to, to pour on to produce crops for, for all people. But here in this letter, who is, who's James talking to? He, he says, count it all joy, my brothers, or in, in our current vernacular, we would say brothers and sisters. He's talking to Christians. He's talking to Christians in particular who uh, were in dire straits because they're dispersed over the, the known world, mostly in the Roman province at this, at this current day in the first century. And uh, life is hard for them. And so he's encouraging them to persevere in the midst of trials, to, to know that God is doing something in the trial. And he's saying, here's what you need to believe about God. God is for you. But more importantly, God is a generous God. You can ask him whatever you want. And God, out of the purity of his heart, it's going to give you what you need. And so be, be, I mean, just ask and don't be shy about, about asking. Particularly, God gives to his children. So if you're in faith, if you're in Christ, he particularly loves to be generous to you and give you what you ask. God doesn't play favorites, but if you're in Christ, you're a favorite. Lastly, James says, God gives without reproach. And that simply means he gives without finding fault. And I can't help but, I mean, I'm challenged by that because I give all the time with like, um, like special clauses on, on the end of it. Think about giving somebody, I mean, you give somebody some money. Say somebody needs, you know, somebody in your family, one of your kids, a friend needs some money. And you, you, you bless them, you give them money. Or you might loan them money. 
Um, and, and then they come back again, maybe a next week or, or a little bit after that, and they say, hey, I just need help again. And so uh, you want to be benevolent. You say, I mean, I just gave you money. What would you do with it? I mean, God doesn't do us like that. Here's another example. Say someone is preparing for a trip and they, they squander their time. They're just procrastinate and they, they, they so procrastinate. They need your help, your help in, in packing up and doing whatever they got to do. And they come to you and ask for help. And, and you say to them, well, I mean, all right, I will help you. I said, but, I mean, gosh, shouldn't you have started like two weeks ago if you had this much to do? I mean, that's, that's the attitude that comes out of my heart sometimes. Whereas you, you, you I mean, you, you're eventually resolved to help the person, but your attitude is so bad that by the time you, you actually um, say, tell, tell the person you want to help, it's like, I don't want you to help anymore if you're going to have that attitude. God doesn't do us like that. God is a God who gives generously to all and he doesn't find a fault, which means he doesn't add a rebuke to it. Aren't we good at rebuking people for, for, for not doing the things that we think they should do? God simply gives. James encourages us to pray, uh, not just focused prayer. Uh, and so all those words there, James encourages us to pray. When he says, ask God who gives generously without reproach, that he's, he's telling you to pray. When he's telling you to ask wisdom, he's, t- he's telling you to pray to God. Be open to ask the generous God um, who's going to give you uh, not always what you, what you ask for, but he's going to give you what you need to get you through the process of the situation. And then he encouraged us to pray focused prayer, but more important to pray faith-based prayer. Verse 6. I'm going to read this again. But let him have, let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. For the person who does not uh, must not for the person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Uh, a lot of times we get hung up on the words uh, that we have to have faith. And not doubt. So let me concentrate on what he's not saying. James is not saying that we we cannot, should not have doubts. I don't even think we can be human and not have have doubts. I don't know how you how you do that. Um, as early as humans were have been on the earth, and, and the you know and sin has ensued, we've all doubted a lot of things. Uh, I, I think of one of the uh, prominent figures in the Old Testament, Moses. Moses doubted. Okay, Moses Moses came to the burning bush. And Moses knew that something was going on. And I don't think Moses, you know, eventually Moses believed God could do great miracles. But here's what Moses doubted. Moses doubted that God could use him to do the thing that God wanted to do to free Israel from uh, from slavery in Egypt. Fast forward to the New Testament. I, I've always been intrigued by the man that comes to Jesus and asked him to uh, to heal his child. And, and Jesus says, Anything is possible if you if you have if you have faith and and uh, and Jesus re- comes back. and He says uh, all uh, all things are possible if you believe. And the man says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I mean, that's the way I feel all the time. It's like I, I do believe, Jesus, that you uh, are are great and good, that you're working for my good, that you can do all things. The things that I ask, even the things I don't even know how to ask. But I do sometimes know there's a gap between um, what I believe and, you know, what I don't believe. And, it, and, and, and here, James is giving us room for that. He's giving us room to be able to, to experience that. He's not saying don't have doubts. There's a lot of people that have doubts. Here's what he's saying. 
have faith-based prayer. It's not the strength of your faith. It's about the strength of the object of your faith. Who's he talking about? He's like, have faith in God, that God can do, you know, as Scripture says, exceedingly abundantly more than you ask or, or think. It's to believe that in the middle of, of your trial, that my only hope is actually Jesus. Instead of saying to yourself, uh, all the things that we say to ourselves to, 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 to do things in our own strength, if I just have a little bit of margin, I know that I'm going to figure this deal out. If I just can, can conjure up some money to get this thing done somehow, I know that I'll be able to do what I need to do. If I can only get in the right school, I'm going to get the training I need so that I can graduate, get a, like a mega job, and, and, and be successful. If I can only get the right counselor, then I'm going to have a person that can tell me exactly what I'm supposed to do, give me the right advice to live through life. And so and sometimes we have more faith in our options than we do in Jesus. James says, hey, believe God, put your faith, your faith based prayer in the God who who's able to do all that you ask. And, And here's the thing. God himself might use all those means. God uses people. He uses means to 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 answer the 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 prayer request that you have. He might use other people's money. He might use uh, other people in your life, a counselor or or someone that can actually give you margin or write school to to give you the skill to do the things that you're supposed to do. But we're supposed to uh, to come in faith to God, believing that he can he and only he can help us. Our hope should be in Jesus. Uh, um, I've looked the older I get and the more I learn about God, I think the simpler I become. And one of the best prayers that I've learned to pray is help. You know, it's four little words, four little letters. Help. Um, I, I steal this from Paul Tripp and I say, I say it probably every other sermon. But I wake up every morning and before my feet hit the floor, I actually do ask God for help. I say, Lord, I'm a man in need of help. Um, would you come and help me in the ways that I ask? Would you help me in the ways that I don't even know how to ask? Would you help me to recognize the help when you're sending it to me and 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 help me not to reject it? Because it's just so easy for us to not see what God is doing in the midst of us and just think that, like, I don't want that. It's just like us in our sin to reject the very help that God is giving us. I think that's a good prayer. Just I mean, you should try that. Wake up every morning or in the midst of a difficult situation, a trial. Ask God to help you. And here's the thing. When you when you pray for help, at least when I pray, I'm training myself. I'm asking God. I'm not asking him to fix the situation. That's our temptation. We want to ask God, just fix it. Just can I snap my finger three times like uh, I dream of Jeannie? Y'all are old enough to remember that. No. OK, whatever. Young people. Here's the, here's the thing we want to help with. We want God to help us see him in the situation, right along with us in the mix. Help me to see what you're doing. Um, I think that's asking for wisdom. That's that's us praying with focus. That's that's faith based prayer. And I think that's what James is asking us to do, exhorting us to do. All right. So here after this, uh, in the next section, James, uh, he's exhorting us to view our trials as a blessing and not to and to seek wisdom from God. And then he gives us an example. He gives us an illustration that uses uh, something that we see commonly every day. People who are rich and people who are poor. Verse nine. 
James says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in him in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he'll pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers, uh, withers the grass. Its flowers fall and its beauty perishes. So also with the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Um, here's what he's getting at. Um, nearly all of us understand uh, that poverty is a trial. In verse nine, he suggests that the poor man has a humble position. I mean, they just I mean, they have nowhere to go but up. Uh, three weeks from now, we'll be in chapter two. And James will remind us that here's the lot to a poor man. A poor man walks into a crowded gathering like ours. And and many of us, not all of us, will will see that person for who he is and we'll relegate him to sit in the back on the floor and we'll see somebody that comes in that we assume is affluent and we'll give them the very the, the prominent seat in the room. It's just how how we are. And that does happen. And so here James is uh, he's telling us that wealth can be a trial as well. Poverty is definitely a trial. We know that he's saying, guess what, guys? If you're wealthy, then you have trials surrounding your life as well. What are the trials of a rich man? Uh, the rich don't live trouble-free lives. In some ways, their, their possessions, their self-sufficiency, and the pride that ensues from, from who they are and what they've amassed um, can catch up with them, and it becomes a trial. What, what becomes a trial in that? Caring for all the stuff that they have, taking care of the materialism that they have, and, and the temptation that it brings. And so... James sums this up. He, 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 he's giving us here a summary of the previous seven verses. And he says, life for all of us, whether you're poor or you're rich, is full of, of varying experiences. And just like the poor man and the rich man, all of you, whatever your situation is, you should boast. The poor man should boast in, in his exaltation. Why? Because um, because you don't suffer the, the pride and all the things, all the cares of life that a rich person has. But more than this, the kingdom of God is upside down. The first shall be last. The last shall be first. God favors the poor. So boast in that because God has favored you. But he also says the rich man should boast as well. The rich man should boast in, in this, that uh, that the stuff that you have is going to fade away. It's like a flower that comes up in the, in the morning sun and it enjoys that sun, but then the heat starts to beat down on it and it's going to cause it to wither. And so he's encouraging the rich man, hey, the stuff that you got is it's not going to be with you all the time. And so be wise about how you live your life. And that really is the lesson that he's giving us in, in terms of the, the wisdom of trials. All of us has a life to live. We all will, will meet circumstances in our life, and, and here's what we should do in regards to the circumstance. It's all about your response. Um, you have to see life, your life, even the hard parts of your life in regards to, um, uh, in eyes of, uh, not, in, not in view of the world's wisdom, but in light of the wisdom that comes from God. He says, use God's wisdom. And then in verse 12, he comes all the way back around. Verse 12, this is, we'll finish up with this. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. And so this is what James has done for us this morning. In verse 2 through 4, 
He's exhorted us to count our trials as joy rather than see them as punishment uh, because of what they yield. In, in other words, he says uh, a difficulty, a trial, suffering in your life has a positive effect. What is that positive effect? It's, it could potentially cause you to grow. It's going it's, it's purpose so that you would mature, that you would lack in nothing spiritually. Here in verse 12, here's what he says. He says trials also um, end up in being blessings to you. And here's why. There's something more tangible than just maturity that awaits you as you experience the process. As you let the process work, there's something that's better than just you growing and being more mature down the road. And he calls it the crown of life. This is a phrase that's repeated twice in the New Testament, once here, but also the, the uh, Apostle John used it in, in Revelation, Revelation 2.10. And so what James and the Apostle John are telling us is that there's a bigger eternal picture that's in store for us as we experience the process of going through a trial. And so we got to let the process work. He's saying in this life we'll face short-term temptations and long-term tests. And we're going to look, a bit, look, look at this a little bit more next week. But he's saying God is using them, uh, using all the, thing, the difficult things we go through to reveal our spiritual flaws and to test our love for him. But here's the, here's the most important thing. Um, God uses trials to point us to Jesus. And if in a, in a sense, Jesus is both our model and he's our exemplar. Think about Jesus' life. Uh, the second person of the Trinity condescended from a divine, eternal dwelling and, and became a part of the creation that he made. And if that's not trial, I don't know what is. And from the very moment of Jesus' life, the humble beginnings that he, he lived, we talk about this at Christmas, being born in a stable amongst the animals, to, to uh, having to escape with his family, uh, living the, the, the rural life that he had to live, walking our roads in our skin, eating our food. I mean, if I'm a deity, I don't want to eat human food, right? Okay. And then he grows up, begins a ministry, and he experienced the hatred and um, the, the physical and the verbal abuse that, that landed him on the cross for a crime that he did not commit. And so Jesus is our exemplar. Simpler, and he's our model. Jesus is a first fruits. He's he's he goes before us in what James calls a man who perseveres under trial and then receives the crown of life. And then lastly, I should say this. You know, we can read this passage and, and James seems to be uh, either or. He seems to be saying, if I don't persevere under trial, I may not even see heaven. Like I can be a Christian if I don't if, if a trial crushes me, I don't get through it. Then he's saying I may not see heaven. James is not saying that. Here's what James is trying to do. James is encouraging those of us who live in environments that are hostile, hostile to people of faith. And we live in one of those environments right now. And he's saying he wants us to have an active faith. He's saying it's not enough for you, you just to believe in Jesus and go about your life. He says your life, your faith itself has to have a little bit of action behind it. What's the action that we need in this in this sense? He says, if life is pressing you in on all sides, agree, agree with the process. Let the process work because on the other end, it's going to make you more mature. You're going to see growth in it. And, uh, and God's going to put something in you that you can't get otherwise to help you live the life that you're supposed to live. Uh, the last comment I'll make is, is, is simply this. Um, 
I mean, we won't get this completely right. I mean, there's sin in us, and so we're going to fail. Some of you are in a trial or will go through a trial, and you won't respond correctly. I mean, it's just a factor of life. And that's why God sends Jesus. Even when we don't respond rightly in the midst of trial, we can bring our failures to, to Jesus. And because Jesus has endured trial himself, he's able to, to sympathize. More than that, he's able to empathize with us and, and, and give us the redemption that can only come to us as we have faith in him um, you know, by his death and resurrection. And so I'll conclude with this. Let me, let me ask you, are, are you in a trial? Is there something going on in your life for which um, you feel tested and and tempted? And I would say James is saying um, God wants to meet you there. Probably more than that, James is saying, you know, invite God into the midst of of all that you're experiencing. Um, Ask for wisdom. and, And more than that, let him let him guide you through the process. Because in the midst of of your trial, I mean, God is doing something. He's not absent. He's with you. That's where God is equipping you, equipping you with um, with fortitude and strength, that steadfastness to help you be able to to stand up under the pressure of of life. It's where he perhaps is uh, ridding you of your doubts, of where he's telling you that, uh, he's going to be there with you of where he's bringing you to a point where he's growing your faith, but also allowing you to worship more. It's, a, it's incredible to me how people that can can go through uh, difficult seasons of life, invite God in the midst of it, comes out with a greater worship of God. And that's what God is wanting to do in, in all of us. Perhaps you're here today and you're not going through a trial, but maybe someone that you know is going through a trial and uh, Maybe you just need to ask God for wisdom for them so that you might be a better friend, a better neighbor, and that you can help. And so as we come to communion, that's what I want us to do. Um, Would you contemplate uh, the trial that you're in? And and here's what James says. He says, uh, not if, but when. And so if you're not in a trial, I'm not saying I'm not I'm not I'm not beckoning a trial to come to your life. uh, But he says not if, but when. And so if you're not in one now. You will be in one. And he gives us the tools to help us know what to do when we're in a trial. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the exhortation from James that reminds us that life really is all of a trial. From beginning to end, every phase of life has its ups and its downs. And those downs can can be hard for us. And so in our trials, in our suffering, what we experience pain, we pray We pray this simple prayer, God, that you would help us. Uh, We're not asking that you would fix our problem and then help us escape to go in isolation or um, or or just escape the the difficulty. We are helping that you would give us perspective. Help us to see you in the midst of our suffering. Lord, we pray that you would give us wisdom as we ask for it. And then, Lord, we pray that you would... um, Help us to stand up under the process that we would uh, be able to use uh, the strength that only comes from you to, to bear the load. And that having let the process work on the other side, we would see uh, new growth, new maturity, 
uh, new worship of, of you. We thank you that you're God who, who's good, who, who gives generously to all without reproach. Lord, help us to cling to that, especially those who are going through a difficult time. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.